Our first speaker is Lisa Ferguson, licensed clinical addictive counselor, addictions counselor, and certified sexual addictions therapist. She's uh, got a um, counseling ministry that has been located in this church, not officially a ministry of this church, but she's been uh, in this building for a while. It's been a blessing to have her in this church, and she's been a regular speaker at this conference, does a great job. So, Lisa, looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Hello. Oh, that's working. Well, greetings. My name is Debbie Downer. I'm kidding. Oh, my gosh. Well, I just want to start until we can get our... Oh, thank you. Yay. Yeah. F frank language ahead. Um, so I just want to start with... <laughs> just... Uh, Oh, this is very good. This is well attended and a lot of blessing the room. Um, so I want to start by saying that um, even though most of what I have to say is like kind of alarming, um, I will say that my, my personal philosophy is that um, we've, read, um, we've read the book of Revelation and we know who wins. And, um, you know, the juxtaposition of light and darkness, um, it, it kind of happens together. And so the vast darkness that we're going to talk about this weekend um, has to be, there must be light that is scaring someone. That's how I see it. So, um, so that's a kind of the good news end of all of the bad news. Um, I do want to say that if there's anybody that has, you know, little ones, I don't see any little ones, but um, I'm going to talk very frankly about stuff. And it's not really stuff that you would want um, maybe you know, you're 10, 11, 12 year old to maybe here, or you, or you might, depending on how uh, used to that they are, just you being frank about sex and stuff. So um, I'm just letting you know that now in case anybody wants to take anybody outside uh, before we start. Um, my particular journey, I'm not going to dwell on that much because I've got some, you know, s somewhat new information and there's just a ton of it. So I'm going to try and talk kind of fast. And those of you who might have questions, um, I would like for you to just um, jot them down in your notes or something. And um, if you don't get back here tomorrow, um, email them to me lightsourcecounseling.com, okay? Uh, and I'll just be glad. I also have a website, and I'll just show that later, so. Um, okay, and so I'll be glad to answer anything, anytime. But if you come back tomorrow, you can just text them tonight to that number that um, was on, and um, we'll answer them tomorrow. Okay, good. Uh, my deal is that um, this is a profession I came to late in life um, due to um, 
a, a heroin addiction in our son that almost killed him, and we didn't even know he was using. This was long before I studied addictions, um, and so I didn't know what, what we were living with. Um, a miracle, freaking miracle, uh, this young man uh, survived enough uh, heroin to have killed a couple of horses. And we were gone, of course, that weekend, and he was home sleeping, and he did wake up. So that is a miracle. That's what got me sort of shaken loose and saying, oh, you know, what am I going to do here? Um, I used to teach uh, high school and college and all kinds of places, and at that time, I couldn't read enough about addictions because I didn't know anything about it. So that's where the, all of this started. So you can, you can see that I have a, a, a bit of a passion for it, um, and I'll call addictions the dragon sometimes, <laughs> because that's the paradigm that it looks like to me. Um, I got then uh, practicing, and I was seeing some things in my office that were not making sense to me, because I didn't know, as a licensed clinical addictions counselor, mind you, I did not know that sex could be an addiction. Can you believe that? Didn't know that porn could be an addiction. <laughs> because I just thought we were looking at drugs. So I practiced in drug addiction for, you know, a couple of years. I started seeing stuff in my office. These guys were not seeming like they were sober, but I knew pretty much that they were not using anymore. So I was like, what is this? What is the brain doing? Um, and then I found out, you know, <laughs> as, uh, so telegrams from God got me into the right classes, and um, so then I decided I, I needed to certify. So now um, I'm one of about uh, oh, maybe nine Experts, CSAT experts, were seen as the most, um, that's the, the most exacting of the um, certifications for sex addiction in the country. And there are about nine of us, maybe eight, in, in Indiana. There's, you know, one in Indy, one in Yorktown, a couple, three in Fort Wayne, and some in southern Indiana. So that's who we are. Um, I am also a specialist, as of a couple of years ago, in the trauma that partners undergo. So partners, girlfriends, spouses of people who have a sexual addiction, their MRIs look like PTSD, and it's really hard to tell the difference in what you're looking at if you know how to read an MRI. It's a whole field by itself. So I um, am able to treat partner trauma as well as addiction. Okay, so that's me. Just saying. Addiction is a disease. How many people have um, heard... How many people have come to the Porn Kills Conference before? Raise your hand. Okay, so we're looking at maybe half. So I'll go ahead quickly over this because this, this doesn't change. <laughs> this part doesn't change. It's a disease. Uh, we now know it's a disease. We have MRIs to prove it. We have all kinds of other things to, to show that. So it's old news. This is a disease. Disease of addiction. And that governs, this uh, sex addiction, porn addiction is a process addiction. It's not about drugs. It's about... Drugs that your brain makes, basically. Eating disorders, uh, gambling, those are process addictions too. And the brain just makes its own stuff due to the processes of these things. Okay, so it's genetically inherited in, in uh, many people, most cases. I'll talk more about that later. One in five babies is born. Uh, if you have the right technology in your hospital, you can actually ask for a picture of your baby's brain <laughs> to see what the heck it's doing. And there's just this little anomaly um, in, in baby MRIs where you can tell before they've used anything or been anything when they're first born. So we now understand, hey, there's a genetic predisposition toward um, addictions. Glad we understand that at this point in time. Um, the disease characteristics are, it's, it's kind of a form of OCD, basically. Um, it is obsessive, which is in the brain. 
So it's when you're thinking about something and you can't seem to stop. Um, it is compulsive, and that is in the behavior, okay? All right. Um, it is unpredictable to the person who has it. Not so unpredictable to family members, but um, uh, it's unpredictable. It's kind of mystical. Uh, continued use despite negative consequences. Most people who have an addiction of any kind um, have had, by a certain level, like a third stage or something or other, they're starting to lose people. They're starting to lose girlfriends, boyfriends, uh, jobs, uh, kids, you know, all that kind of thing, uh, financial losses and so forth and so on. Uh, it is progressive, just like cancer. It has four stages and the four stages deadly. It'll kill you if you don't get treatment. A lot of ways to die of sex addiction, not gonna go into them tonight. Um, trust me, <laughs> you don't wanna hear all um, And so, it is located in the primal part of the brain um, and that simply means it's the part of the brain that babies have when they're first born. It's just like the first thing that develops in us. Uh, we come with a trauma center of the brain, and we come with a pleasure center of the brain, and that's how babies survive, and that's why they cry as if they're dying when they're hungry. It's primal. They don't have the rest of their brain that says, your mom is right here, in fact, you're in her arms, and she's gonna feed you in one second. There's nothing like that in a baby's brain, and it takes 25 years for boys, and about 20 years for girls to get the rest of the brain in place. But boy, we're born with this primal thing, unfortunately, because it's the hardest part to treat. Okay, but that's where addiction lies. Um, chronic versus acute. You know, a lot of people think they're not addicted to stuff. And they do that because, like cancer, the disease of addiction goes into little phases. And sometimes it's acute. It's in an acute phase. And that's where, like, a person with heart disease, like, has a heart attack and everybody's paying attention to it, and they're like, oh my God, you know, this is really serious, that's where they end up in the emergency room, so forth and so on, we get treatment. And in sex addiction, that's when somebody discovers what you're doing, or, I mean, it can be, it can be a hundred different things. But it gets, it's acute, it comes to the surface, you get concerned, maybe you just sit there and you're like, what am I doing, I've lost five hours, I'm sitting here in front of this computer, and you just, it just, you just say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I don't want to be this. It may, that's acute, but um, then it goes chronic again. Oh, I'll just do better, I'm gonna do better, and I'll just be okay, and so then I'll just white knuckle, and a lot of people, most, everybody with addictions can white knuckle, which just means you just stop doing it for a while. But eventually it comes back. You just have to know what you're looking for. And it's very unpredictable. Oh, well, I'm not an addict, I've been, you know, porn free for three months. Porn free for six months. Porn free for nine months. If you are addicted, all you have to do is just wait. It'll come back. And so that's the problem. But people don't want to treat it when it's not in the acute phase. And they want to say they're not. Because this is a disease that tells you you don't have it. Just saying. Okay, now, I'm going to be very quick about this part because it's not like the, you can just like read. Um, being depressed, anxious, can't sleep, can't concentrate, etc., is often misdiagnosed by doctors who just don't understand addictions. Who knew? I mean, like I told you, I was an addictions counselor and did not understand sex addiction. So uh, you get diagnosed with things like bipolar sometimes, when maybe maybe you don't have bipolar, but you're an addict, and nobody thinks to ask you about your, I don't know, drinking habits, and they certainly don't ask you about your porn habits cause who knew, it affects the same quadrant of the pleasure center of the brain as alcohol. 
Isn't that interesting? It actually affects two quadrants. But you don't need to know about all that tonight. Okay, here's a normal brain. How many people have seen these MRIs of the brain on like porn and stuff? No? Oh, these are amazing. Okay, so this is Alzheimer's. And this just means that these parts of the brain are not functioning, they're not firing properly. Um, this is what it looks like when you've had a stroke, cocaine, meth, alcohol, heroin, marijuana. Usually people gasp on that one. Yeah, it actually does take out brain function. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, what is going on? What are those holes? Most of it's in the frontal cortex. Centers of decision-making. Consequence of present action. Feeling what other people are feeling. Noticing people's pain. Um, reward, motivation. So we don't, we're not motivated. A lot of addicts are not motivated. Very self-centered and so forth and so on. They, their uh, spouses and partners report that they're just like clueless about how they're feeling. Don't really care. Doesn't seem like they care. Sometimes they'll cry, but then they'll go back and do it again and so forth and so on. And how a person, how I'm feeling is affected if my frontal cortex is compromised. I can't tell how I'm feeling half the time. That's the thing. So the result is limited access to everybody, including ourselves. Okay, so genetic predisposition. But there are three substances, quote unquote, or processes that are highly addictive on first use. Okay, somebody call out a couple of drugs that you know are highly addictive on first use, drugs. Oddly, it's not. It's highly addictive. Maybe not on first use. Oh, you go, girl. That's awesome. These are great answers. They don't happen to be the... It's like the big, scary ones. Cocaine. And meth. Isn't that interesting? First use. And I'll tell you about more about that. I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay. I go out every two years and I sit in lectures by Patrick Carnes, who's the creator of this whole field. And all of these experts are like researching all the time. And in, in like every, like I don't even know, half, every six months, this field changes. There's new research. I'm drinking from a fire hose most of the time, even now. There you go. Okay. And here's the final MRI for you to look at. Here's your brain, here's your brain on heroin, and here's your brain on porn. Frontal cortex dies. I'm not talking about just not firing. Tissue dies. Yeah. Porn. The tsunami. It has become a primary source of information about sex in our culture. I see a lot of young people here. Chances are you've seen, this, you've seen porn as early as, I don't know, 10, 8, 7, etc. Any second of the day, there are 30 million unique visitors viewing porn like now and now and now. Interesting, huh? Half the internet made up of porn or porn-related content. 88% in the top rented and selling porn. Aggression, sexual violence. 
average age, first view, because there is no soft porn anymore, by the way. When I was growing up, I, you know, in the like 60s, you would hear such terms as soft porn. It's gone. It's gone the, w the way that a lot of things are gone, <laughs> and that's just that when we introduce media, everything goes faster. Takes weeks instead of months, months instead of years, years instead of decades. Seven, this is true. I've heard five and I've heard three also. In fact, in my practice, I have seen two cases. Three, where first viewing was at three. In a cornfield in Indiana, they find me. This is not New York City, folks. So what's going on? If that's, if that's coming to new life, if that is being seen in new life, what kind of world are we living in now? Okay, U.S. top producer of DVDs and web pages, etc. And pick your fact. I mean, verbal and physical aggression increase. You know, I mean, this. There's a lot of correlations with crap stuff that they now know is related to early porn viewing. 14 to 19 year olds, I mean, there are a few people that are in that age range in here. That's considered fairly, you know, young. Okay. Does permanent damage. You guys can read. Oh, but I just, I just have to, look at this. More regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. You've got to be kidding me. I am smiling only because it's like we're living in Alice in Wonderland or something. It's like, really? There's a rabbit who's talking? I mean, it's like, that's the world we live in, guys. And it has been normalized. The younger you are in this room, the more you think this stuff is just normal. Well, maybe normal, but it's not healthy. It's messing with you so people can make money. That's what's happening. Child porn. Recorded child sexual exploitation. That's what that is. Child porn traders. Yep. India is a hub of, by the way, a hub of trafficking. We had a speaker a year or two ago that talked about that. Of course, it's a of course it's a factor in divorces. Human toll. So so so, what is sexual addiction? I'll just talk to you a minute about that, and then we'll get to the sort of porn thing, because porn is the meth of sex addiction. Okay. Um, it is just a dysfunctional preoccupation with sexual urges, with fantasy, with behavior, often involving obsessive pursuit of non-intimate sex. So in other words, sex for the sake of sex with people you don't necessarily know too well or care about. Could be compulsive masturbation, could be porn, romantic obsession, that's called love addiction. There is a thing like that. It's a thing. An objectified partner sex. Now, the objectified partner sex, some of these days, if any of you want to 
hear more about that, I can help you with that. Because in monogamous couples, there's a lot of objectification going on in people's heads. Having sex with a physical body that you're not mentally and emotionally present with, that's what that is. The pattern, the above pattern, persists for more than six months, despite attempts to self-correct, promises made to self, and negative consequences in the person's life. That's how that looks, okay. I love this quote. It's like um, we have devised a form of heroin, usable in the privacy of one's own home and injected directly to the brain through the eyes. Might as well just call it that. So, here's the chart. And if you overlay this thing, <laughs> okay, um, with every other addiction chemical, I think we're probably talking about almost 100% of American families are profoundly touched and therefore altered by addiction. Because I'm telling you, if you don't have an addiction, but you love somebody that has one, I will not ask for a show of hands. But I'm gonna guess that about 90% of the hands in this place would go up. And I'll tell you that, that they don't see what's happening to them, but their loved ones do. And that's what happened to my family, and that's why I was like, who is this dragon? What? Why doesn't anybody talk about that in like health class or something? More than just, just say no or whatever. And there are the countries, U.S., Iceland, and United Kingdom. But U.S. just is, is beyond almost anything. So even the, I mean, I, I gave a talk in Germany a few weeks ago. Went to Dresden. And I was at an addictions support group and I was lecturing to them. It was an Alcohols, Alcoholics Anonymous. Love 12 steps, by the way. They work, that's why I love them. Um, if you get a 12 step uh, life going on, plus you know, therapy or you know, something like that, you're, you're, you're really gonna make some progress, okay? No silver bullet. But anyhow, I, I talked to them about a porn addiction and sex addiction and they looked at me blankly. I'm like, you guys have, you guys have you know, heard about this, you know, and, and they're all like, and as you know, the rest of the world is a lot more progressive about sex, like they're a lot more liberal than we are in the United States. You would have thought, I thought, they would have known what we're talking about. What? They're like, what? They haven't heard. Oh, they're going to hear about it pretty soon because it's going to be taken out generations. So I educated them. It was depressing to them. And of course, we can look at this and statistics. And if you, if you want, you know, this presentation is going to be someplace online, like my website, these guys' is the New Life website, etc. This is interesting fun fact. All other things like food appetite or thirst, things like that, have a sati satiation response eventually. When you're eating, you get full eventually. When you're drinking, same thing. Not so with Internet addiction. There is no satiation response with internet porn. I can tell you some really gruesome stories, and I won't, of how, you've heard, you've heard of people who like get in the hospital and they've got cancer and they um, have to have a trach because they can't breathe and, and they're smokers and that's why and everybody knows that. And you've heard of those people, you know what I'm about to say. They'll go home and they'll smoke through the trach. 
I won't even have you imagine what this looks like for internet porn addiction. Combined with compulsive masturbation, where self-harm happens without the person caring. Put it that way. That's probably about a fourth stage, by the way. Porn-induced erectile dysfunction is the reason that I said, if you have children, you may want to... It's a thing. How many people have ever heard of it? Well, there you go. You will, if, you, if, you, if tonight's the first time you've heard of it, you'll hear a lot more everywhere else. 20-somethings. That's, that's who has it, mostly. And uh, this started being a thing about five years ago. And young uh, men would go to their doctors, and they'd be like, Psh, I don't know what's going on. Just take some Viagra, you'll be fine. And a couple of them, who don't happen to be Christian, I don't think, a couple of them across the country who didn't know each other and so forth and so on got really t ticked about it and decided that they really needed to figure this out. So they looked up Patrick Cards. Both of them kind of went the same direction. They didn't even know the other one was doing it. And uh, each of them started a w websites. Um, Nofap.com, has anybody heard of that one? Okay, yeah. So it's a real thing, and it's, it's a great website. It's a grassroots uh, website that just says, we reboot, that's how we do it. And that, that idea came from Patrick Carnes and so forth and so on. It just basically means that young guys are like, why can't I do it? And doctors don't know, and so they're finding help with each other. Has anybody else? This one, this one guy just put it out there on the internet and said, does anybody else have this problem? Because he was just like practically suicidal. And then he just got these hundreds of responses. So that's how nofap.com got started. He's like, dude, why isn't anyone talking about this? I don't know. I know why you know, some of us Christians don't talk about it because there's a lot of shame around it. I suppose there's a lot of shame in the other circles too. Nobody wants to talk about that stuff. But it's taking people out left and right. We might as well. So 90-day abstinence, no sex with self or others. Might as well just say it. No sex with self or others for 90 days. They've discovered that Patrick's ideas really do work. A person's body begins to recover, their brain begins to recover if it's given 90 days of peace from the neuropathway response of masturbation and objectification. Isn't that interesting? Thank God that's possible, because you can't do that with a food addiction. People with eating disorders have to go a different route. After 90 days, the brain begins to fire some different chemical um, neuropathways, but it takes another nine months for the brain to redevelop its cellular structure in the frontal lobes. So guys that are really serious, and there are a few here this evening, Thank you, Jesus. The warriors, and you'll hear from um, some of them this evening if you come to the breakout, or I, th I believe we've got one speaking uh, here in a little bit. These are real men, by the way. Not that everybody else isn't, but I'd, I'm saying that the guys who have mastered this sort of Zen thing, <laughs> you know, the Zen Jesusism, I don't know, it's like, celibacy for over three months, over six months, over nine months, over a year. Those brains, I can see in my practice 
when those guys have achieved, I can see it coming down the hall. They have a different way of walking, thinking. They're like the Terminator all of a sudden. It's ridiculous. It's powerful. And they sit down and they, they're like, okay, I'm like, okay, so what happened to you? And they're like, well, I sure do feel a lot different and I can see stuff. It's like really weird. I'm like, well, how, how many days you got? Like, I don't know, man, 300 maybe? I'm like, yes. All right, so that's a little too far for some of you who are like not even sure you're having a problem. So we'll, we'll just, anyway, don't get me started. I just, I love these guys. One guy that rebooted said this. <laughs> it's just on the nofap.com you know, website. It's, it's so great. He's like, my gosh, I, was a, I didn't realize I was a chick magnet. You know, it's like, okay, hey, he was happy. Okay, stats in the church, these have not changed in about three years. We've still got this running because we're just not quite where we need to be yet in being proactive and being honest and so forth and so on. Yeah. 68% of men in church watch porn on a regular basis. This, this comes from... Um, CovenantEyes.com, and they're the watchdogs for all of this. They do great research. They're very, very dependable and very um, reliable, credible. 68. Okay, so that's, um, you know, two-thirds. And, and you know, that thing that's, that's on a regular basis, that's the part that bothers me. And that tell, why? It tells us it's not a matter of willpower. If you're a man, you're going to church... I'm sorry, you're not going to be like, hey, I think I'll go home and just do this too. You know, it's like, you want to stop. But if you still do it on a regular basis, that's the makings of an addiction. That, that would give me reason to think we've got two-thirds of the guys running around in the whole country who probably have a first or second or third or fourth stage addiction going on because porn is the meth of sex addiction. Okay. So let's talk about that stuff. Married men, yeah, have these problems. In fact, they, they have a majority of a problem. I'm not sure what that, uh, you know, if that study needs to be um, looked at again, but this is, this is new. Kids? <sighs> Don't get me started. Average 12-year-old boy Googling porn, 15 seconds. He sees extreme sexual violence by a man against a woman. Mainstream porn is what used to be called hardcore. And the younger they get to the porn, the more at risk they are for depression, anxiety, likelihood of engaging in dangerous sexual behavior, and relational disorders. Gail Dines is one of the experts in our country about this. She runs a grassroots program as well as is a speaker that has to do with getting porn out of our kids' hands. Actually, getting it obliterated. <laughs> That's, she's very radical. I'm starting to get there myself. Can you tell? Okay, so here's the deal. Usually it's accidental for a kid. They run across it. They'll walk into dad's, I don't know, uh, office or something in the home when he's left something on there. This is how the three-year-old, one of the three-year-olds saw it in my practice. Okay, so dad got careless and turned the computer off without erasing the history or whatever and Little girl, baby girl, you know, got a hold of that and turned it on, and there it was. And fortunately, she brought it out to the family, which, of course, was terribly embarrassing, including grandparents. They were on vacation together. 
I said, what is this? And uh, we are praying that this child was not traumatized. However, this is how their brains do. Little ones who see that stuff, those images are traumatizing. Isn't that interesting? We're so used to that stuff in our culture that we're like, oh, whatever. But um, no, they find it traumatizing in their brains. You know that, did you know that when you're watching TV and there's violence going on, your brain doesn't know the difference between it's happening to the hero on TV and it's happening to you? So you get, you, has anybody noticed that their adrenaline goes up, the heart beats fast and all that stuff? It's because the right brain, you can't tell it what to think. Left brain you can, but cortisol and adrenaline and all that stuff, that's right brain. And right brain gets it done before you can even blink an eye. It's too late. So that's what happens in these little ones. So they get this trauma response going. It's a fight, flight, freeze. It's um, uh, you know, adrenaline and, and cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine. It, it, whew, it heightens everybody. So that's what happens to these kids. So they go into trauma. They'll flip it off usually. They'll, they'll, they won't be staring at it because they're not planning on it, right? And they see that and they know something's wrong with it and it scares them. So they'll get away from it, but their brain replays it. If it's cyberspace, if it's, you know, your phone, your computer, things like that, their brain will replay it against their will because it is paired. You know Pavlov's dogs, where it started out where he would feed, he was a psychologist, you know, and he would feed the dogs and ring a bell. And of course they would salivate. And eventually they would salivate without the food, just with the bell. That's called, it was pairing. He had paired condition responses. So for a child who sees porn for the first time, the trauma response is paired with, uh, depending on the age of the kid, uh, physical pleasure because of how we're put together. Just autonomic, they don't get to decide that, it just happens. Fear and shame. That is a mighty pairing. And it makes a mark on the brain, literally. They've done research on this too. In autopsies of people, they find marks on the brain corresponding to the age at which a person was traumatized. Makes an impression, stays there. And one of the responses, we call it a, um, uh, sometimes it's a trauma blocking response. There are several responses that the, that the kid can have or the brain will have. Trauma repetition is what happens with internet porn. They will replay the image even though they find it heinous and scary and shameful and they won't talk about it. That's how you build addicts before they have a chance to figure out what sex is really for. My God. The porn industry's digital marketers, very great minds. Everybody has a digital marketer, of course, now in their corporations of any kind. They're brilliant people. We probably have people in here studying that. Good on you. But they also get hired by porn industry and they're using their intelligent gifts to make sure we have more addicts who will eventually have it need to be more than free. So it'll get a little more frequent, it'll get a little more lengthy or a little more dangerous or add another one of the 20 kinds of sex addiction to it. Starting with say, porn, and next it's, or starting perhaps with compulsive masturbation. And then we add porn. And we add internet porn. And then into, into that we get into hours where we've lost time. And we can't figure out, how could I have been sitting here for five hours? And then uh, perhaps it goes into sexting with somebody real. 
then it goes into chat rooms and Craigslist and uh, making little rendezvous or having uh, uh, mutual masturbation sessions with video, interactive. Once or twice, it may gravitate toward underage. I see this happen all the time. This is four stages. I'm talking about fourth stage when somebody gets to where they're about ready to be arrested or they've lost their love of their life or they have lost their children or they have lost a job or they get careless. Why don't we refer people when they're in a stage one or two and we can really do something about that without them losing stuff. Losing stuff starts in about a third stage. And by the time most people make it to my door, they are suicidal. That's one way you can die of sex addiction. This ought not to be. There's a stigma with getting the kind of help we need in the church and out of the church. A lot of alcoholics think that they can just do it with only a 12-step meeting, and some have. God love them. But sex addicts think that they might be able to just do it with a big meeting occasionally and some readings. A good portion of those are incorrect about that. And even in the circles of the church, there's a stigma if Oh, so-and-so had to get a therapist on top of all of these meetings with the brothers. This ought not so to be. Do we, give, do we give people hassle if they have cancer and we prayed for them at church and then they go to a doctor? I don't think so. We just, we're just ignorant like Dr. Phil and we just like to say, ah, it's not an addiction. It's just a matter of willpower. Okay, I have surgeons. I have pastors, I have judges, you know, we have, if it's willpower, folks, why are those people in anybody's practice for sex addiction help? Really? Willpower, huh? I have yet to see willpower heal anyone of cancer or heart disease. See what I mean? We stigmatize it. That's why... It's touching most of our guys these days. They need help. They don't need shame. They don't need somebody to look at them and go, well, it's because you're a loser. Oh, I'm so over that. Come on. <laughs> Let's let people get out of the boxes. Let's talk about this before it takes our whole country down. Okay, don't uh, bunny trail. It has changed biological markers, by the way. <laughs> Leading cause of throat cancer has, has come down from mid-50s as the average age to age 14 as the average age. Yeah, due to oral sex. I'm so sorry. Okay, so this is the thing coming out in January. When it first came across my desk a couple of months ago, I actually just had to leave my desk. I was like, a little nauseated. Why would I be nauseated about something like this? Now that's not what they look like, by the way. They look like a 20-year-old porn star is what they look like. Sex bots is what they call them. They are available for sale in January. Some um, dude who is 
pretty crazy um, and real smart about making money, has been working for 20 years to make a lifelike sex doll that can be programmed anyway and say whatever you want. Don't even get me started on the implications for sexual addiction with this stuff. About a fifth of the Japanese male population has decided that they would just rather not have relationships with normal humans. Already they have decided this. Because it's just too, too much work. Object sex is all they want. They don't want to procreate. They don't want to relate. A fifth of the male population in Japan, folks. You think this is not coming? Advancing, and this is such an understatement, the potential of this to advance the objectification of women as normal and okay and everyday and happening so much that we dare not say it shouldn't. Are you kidding me? Really? The guy that purveys this stuff, the guy that created it, one of his quotes, I just didn't, I didn't have time to include everything. One of his quotes is like, you know, because people have concerns. This is, this is object. This is not real. This is reinforcing every time a person has sex with one of these things. Is reinforcing, oh, that's, it looks like a woman. Sounds like a woman. Does anything I want. Doesn't have needs of her own. And people are put, you know, activists are putting that out there going, how can you possibly do that? That is wrong on so many levels. And this guy says, well, my toaster doesn't have the right to tell me what kind of bread I want. Like, really? So women are toasters? These people are nuts. Okay, the quick thing, if we look at these characteristics of the truly addicted, inability to control or quit, so it's out of control. Continued use, right? Despite the consequences of life. Preoccupation in the head, or in the, um, yeah, in the head, preoccupation and obsession, compulsivity in the actions, uh, enslavement basically, tolerance, increased use or increased risk or increased intensity is required over time for sex addiction, just like it is for heroin. That's how kids overdose. And sometimes in an advanced stage, they will get withdrawal symptoms. Now let's look at the brain damage. Decision-making, empathy for others, contact with ourselves, in touch, all of that stuff, short-term memory, reward, motivation. Motivation, how about that? So basically two-thirds of our male population and a rising number of female population probably coming up upon one-third and rising. Starting kind of right now and on through, if we don't do something about this, the rest of you guys' lives, after I'm gone. Majority of population is gonna be lacking empathy, impulsive, poor decision makers, forgetful, lacking motivation and out of touch with self and others, non-relational, unable to bond in relationship, emotionally absent and self-absorbed. Do you wanna live in the country that's like that? I'm just like, I'm just so motivated for you guys to get a hold of this because you're going to have to save it. And first things first, partners, I, don't, I can't even start on this. I had a whole presentation 
on this another, you know, I had two full presentations last year. This is, this is just to let you know there's a lot more about partner trauma than most people know. Relational decimation, people have to do EMDR therapy, spouses and partners. This tears people apart who watch this happening to their most intimate relationship over and over and over despite promises, despite, hey, I went to a meeting these people become liars. And their loved ones believe them until they can't anymore. Acute dysfunction in the children of families like this, it's amazing. How do you know you need a therapist, okay? If you have reached out, now you can't, nobody does this alone. I will just tell you that. So you might as well just get over that. Nobody does this alone. We've got some options tonight. Josh is going to talk about the, um, the uh, larger uh, point of view with the EMB, the Airman's Battle. That's a very user-friendly. People who come in, they're not sure they're addicts and stuff, can come to that and, and, and get good, good, you know, cons consistent instruction and stuff. So it's, it's uh, not risky. Um, but if you are unsuccessful with that, and then once you've gone to maybe a pure desire group and gotten the regimen down, they're, they're regimented, and it's very helpful, and they got all their stuff from Patrick Carnes. So it's very, very... Um, more concentrated, that people go there, self-identify. And you say, yeah, I got an addiction, got to get out of this thing. And it's a, it's a more intimate group. So they've, they've maybe done both of those. And these things are still not in remission, like they keep slipping or falling every couple of months or three months. Then it's not working. Don't give it too much time. If you're still unable to be, you know, abstinent in the first six months of the new thing you're trying, Go to a higher level of care. There is no shame. Therapy is often a tool in God's hands. Lot of no silver bullet. Find the right combo. There's a lot out there for partners. Go to my website. These things are on there. A lot of help for people in addiction.